tonight on Rhode Island PBS Weekly. We're helping develop good husbands, good fathers, good members of the community. You make them do community service. Yep. Why? Because these kids need to understand the value of giving back to the community and taking care of where they came from. These are kids that typically do not get invited to birthday parties or sleepovers. To see them having fun, doing something that typical kiddos do, it's a feeling like no other. We get to watch Putin reinvent himself, you know, and watch the steps in Joseph's imagination in a very theatrical way. How does one get from low-level KGB thug to one of the most powerful people in the, in the world. It's not often you get to do a play where there is a living person in it and you're depicting them. Good evening. Welcome to Rhode Island PBS Weekly. I'm Pamela Watts. And I'm Michelle San Miguel. We begin our broadcast with stories of transformation. First up, baseball. The iconic Babe Ruth once said every strike brought him closer to the next home run. The same could be said in life. The Major League Playoffs and World Series are just around the corner. In Rhode Island, there is a little-known inner-city travel league that's churning out major success stories both on and off the field. Tonight, we introduce you to some young athletes who are encouraged to not only find that sweet spot of the bat on the ball, but in life as well. This ball's drilled to left field all the way back and gone. Being a kid from New England, this is a dream come true. The field of dreams for Jeremy Pena of Providence, starting shortstop for the Houston Astros, began here. On a dusty diamond in a public park with donated equipment and no clubhouse. The team is called Providence Sports and Leadership, or PSL. Changed your life? Not based on the baseball, but based on the relationships that I met with the program. It started with hard work. It was just showing up on time, you know, discipline, doing the little things right, putting the work in, and then going from there. Being a good person goes a long way. For Pena, it took him all the way to the majors and playing this day at Fenway Park against the Boston Red Sox. He takes the talent, his natural talent, and the hard work that he's put in. Hopefully PSL is a part of that. Bill Flaherty is co-founder of PSL. It's a nonprofit inner-city athletic and academic development program, encouraging young players to hit a grand slam at the plate and in life. Baseball's the hook where we talk about things like accountability and character and hard work. Flaherty played and coached baseball in school. He says he was working to renovate a property in South Providence a decade ago when he just happened to look out the window and saw community leader Kennedy Arias running a baseball practice. Must have been with 40 or 50 kids by himself. Just, you know, barking, coaching things all over the field, you know, getting the kids hustling, playing ball. And I just walked over to him and having a baseball background, having a good sense of the game and how to teach it. With that in mind, Flaherty went to Arias and offered to help, but conveying his intentions was not easy. Two very different backgrounds and visions and cultures. Because um, I don't speak Spanish and everybody thinks I look like a cop. I'm not a cop. <laughs> and how we kind of came together and over time we're able to 
to share our visions and say, hey, let's do this. And they did, ultimately creating two elite baseball teams for athletes 14 to 18. They fundraise so kids can afford to participate in the travel league. Literally taking two minivans with 16 kids and going out to these white suburban neighborhoods and playing top-notch level baseball, but doing it the right way, we would do that time and time again. And people were surprised by it. And I'm thinking to myself, why are they surprised by this? Is it their accents? Is it the color of their skin? It's where they come from? Why should they be surprised? And I don't want them to be surprised anymore. I want them to know when we go out there that they're gonna get a well-prepared, well-mannered, respectful group of young men that are just gonna play their asses off on the baseball field and do it the right way. Keep everything positive, always positive. Have a good time. Like I said, you never know when you're gonna be out here again. Every day you gotta play like it's your last. Leading by way of example is PSL coach Franklin Salcedo, a former college baseball player. How do you develop a young leader for the community? How do you go about that? It's not just what I tell them to do on the field. It's also like maintaining their grades because we're not able to showcase the, the talent of the student athlete if, if they don't have the grades. It's a lot more outside of the field that we can do to, to be leaders. Salcedo is a Providence firefighter and spends most of his off hours mentoring his team. I dedicate so much time to these kids throughout the years because they deserve it. They don't have anyone in Providence that can really guide them um, the way I think we can. You know, I do it because I love it. I don't do it for any other, other reason. I just want to see these kids flourish. I want them to have great opportunities. Uh, when I was growing up in Providence, I didn't have the same opportunities they did and I wanted to change that. PSL brought a great opportunity for 18-year-old Chris Rodriguez, who has received a scholarship to Assumption College. Do you think you're a better person because of this program? 100%. This program has shaped me. I want to be someone that people look up to and not only like want success for myself, but everyone around me. I want to be a part of that success. Rodriguez is part of the impressive stats compiled by PSL through an emphasis on academics and assisting players with college prep and applications. I was looking back over the past 10 years, and we have about 50 kids that have gone on to college, uh, probably about 30 to 35 of them playing college baseball and doing some great things. So great that in 2021, the starting shortstops for varsity baseball teams at Rhode Island College, Johnson and Wales, and the University of Rhode Island were all graduates of PSL. And in addition to Jeremy Pena in the majors, there's Anderson De Los Santos with the Atlanta Braves. But for Flaherty, success for his players is about more than just going pro. Some have gone on to join the Providence Police Department and the military. We're helping develop good husbands, good fathers, good members of the community. You make them do community service. Yep. Why? Because these kids need to understand the value of giving back to the community and taking care of where they came from and showing respect for where they came from and showing people around the community that it's not acceptable to have these neighborhoods messy. Jeremy Pena fondly recalls the volunteer work he did as a PSL player. I remember we did a cleaning where we just walked around the streets picking up garbage and uh, yeah, it, was, it was cool. Tree planting, we helped kind of give out toys to the community 
back to school activities where we hand out book bags and pencil cases and notebooks and things to the kids when they go back to school. And today, the tradition continues with new players. After the school year ends, the teenagers play summer and fall ball, then work out through the winter. High school junior Jeremy Luna says he's motivated despite the demanding schedule. I see them going to college, going to college on like scholarships and playing baseball that like that really shows me like I want to be a leader. And Luna says being a leader also means staying healthy. Do what's good for your body. Obviously, don't do like drugs and stuff like that. Don't do bad things. Don't drink and stuff like that. And feed yourself like good food and just take care of your body in general. Peace out really means to me. It just means like family. It's a family that sometimes has to help its own players overcome challenges. Can you give us some examples of what you've come up against and what they've dealt with? A lot of these kids come from poverty, but um, the opportunity that's presented to them, like they don't have, like a lot of these kids come from the Dominican Republic and they come from nothing. So when they come here, they might not have a car, they might walk miles from their house, they might jog miles. It's complicated, it's sad. You hear a kid that doesn't have food in his fridge or is just struggling to get to school or just has a you know, bad home life and we try to help them. If you don't adjust, if you don't learn how to adjust in this game, you're not gonna move up to the next level. I just wanna say, man, I'm proud of you guys. People say, it's so much, you've done so much good for the kids. I said, they've done so much good for me, so. That's the way I look at it. And the appreciation is mutual, especially from former PSL players like Pena, who took time during his stellar rookie season to text his old coach. He's like, coach, without you, I know I wouldn't be where I'm at, and I want you to know that. And that hit me in the heart. How do you feel about these, these young men? Love. Super, super kids that just need, need a little bit more, just a little bit of support, a little bit of guidance. And the things that they do is unreal because if you look around the surroundings, it's a tough park where they are. South Providence, Elmwood area, parts of Elmhurst are tough, really tough. And what they do coming out of that, unbelievable. Up next, we head out to a beach in Little Compton where some say surfers are performing miracles with children and others who are often left behind. Senior producer Justin Kenny has this story. At Gnome Surf, we, we surf with over 3,000 athletes and families. Uh, what we do is surf therapy. Our athletes at Gnome Surf are uh, typically neurodivergent. We're for all kids. Uh, we've built our program on inclusion, but I'd say not, over 95% of our athletes either have autism, Down syndrome, ADHD, depression, or anxiety. My name is Christopher Anteo. I'm the executive director and founder of Gnome Surf. My name's Mackenzie Palumbo and I'm Cash and Hollis's mom. 
Passion Hollis are 13 years old. They're twin boys. They were diagnosed at 15 months of age with autism uh, and a handful of other diagnoses. Both of my boys are pretty much nonverbal. Hollis is nonverbal. Cash has some language. These are kids that typically do not get invited to birthday parties or sleepovers. To see them having fun, doing something that typical kiddos do, it's a feeling like no other. Every time I stand on that shore and I watch my kids out on the board, I always think to myself, this is what parents of typically developing children must feel like when they watch their kids play baseball or football or soccer, and you just feel so proud. My name is Gio Matram. I'm the lead instructor here at Gnome Surf. So I was born with brain damage. It's led to like brain aneurysms, scattered bleeding spots. It's led to a whole host of different challenges for me. The most prominent has been sensory regulatory and then social situations. I couldn't speak till I was like six. And then it's been a long journey to this point of verbalization. I've also had seizures, general motor skill um, challenges, so to say. Luckily, Gnome has helped me recover from that amazingly um, because when you have a lot of this stuff, you have super low self-esteem, super low confidence. Um, it's helped my balance, um, my social skills, and has overall turned me into a more well-rounded human and athlete, I would, I would say. I started surfing with Chris seven years ago, and I started teaching three to four years ago. I've seen Gnome from all different angles. I've seen what the surf therapy does and how amazing of an impact it has and the true healing potential and amazingness that it, it gives off. And I can also see it from the instructor side and how what I do and how I can teach can then heal kids and their certain challenges. I'm Heidi McCurtain, I'm Abby's mom. Abby wasn't meeting milestones, so eventually around six months, her uh, pediatrician suggested that we look at an MRI to maybe see if there's anything else going on. And on that MRI, it showed that she had lesions on her brain um, and then elevated lactate, which were consistent with Lee's. So at that point, what they knew about Lee's disease, which is a mitochondrial disease, they said she had about two years to live. Um, that has since changed. She's 11. She's been in a drug study, and we're just trying to do as much as we can to live a full life for our, our whole family and Abby getting out doing stuff like surfing and horseback riding. We try to do what we can. Abby loves adventure, and she loves water. That's one thing. Any type of water play, water activity, always brings her to li life. When we had the opportunity to try surfing, I was like, we'll try it. My, I was a little nervous of how they would support her since she's 100% reliant on somebody to hold her up. She can't sit up on her own. She can't walk. So I just saw some videos and I said, well, they seem to have a good handle on it. And the first time I came, they're like, mom, don't worry, we've got it. And I was like, okay, even just pushing her across the sand. I was like, I'm so used to doing this stuff. So 
to give all the control away and watch it. It was so enjoyable. Her smile, her laughter, and everybody around her, it was awesome. And we couldn't wait to have another opportunity to do it. Do you like surfing? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Gnome Surf has, you know, saved my life. Uh, I've, I've struggled with ADHD, depression, anxiety, and when I'm out there on the waves with these kids, everything slows down, it calms down for me, and, and I truly get my medicine, so to say, just like these kids. It's made my life a thousand times better, you know. Uh, I'm lucky enough to know what my purpose on earth is. When I started, I was an executive banker, uh, made well over six figures, a uh, very successful, lucrative career. And, Gnome Surf just kept growing and growing and uh, one day came where I needed to make the decision whether it was to grow the surf school for, for children or to continue to, to be an executive banker and for me that decision was extremely easy. When I look out in the water and see the smiles of these children that depend on me, I, I knew that I only had one choice to make. Um, so. I decided to go Gnome Surf full time and also became a uh, firefighter in the city of Fall River and, and so now uh, I change lives and save lives. <laughs> Do I ever cry? Yeah, absolutely I cry. Um, I try to, you know, shelter the tears a little bit from the families because I know it's pretty emotional for those parents too. It makes me quite emotional to know that we're delivering something to this family that normally they don't have the oppor opportunity to partake in. and. Um, to see the parent smile and to tear up and, and to see their child breaking barriers or proving, you know, the scholars wrong um, is something that, you know, is truly meaningful and deep for me. How do you not get emotional? How do you not get emotional when you have a, a child who is nonverbal and all he can do is smile from ear to ear because he's just so happy? How do you get emotional when you have a child who's wheelchair bound or medically fragile and you see them out on the board? Those are things that you just never picture for your own kid. And you see them doing something that makes them find joy. And it's, it's emotional. She could be feeling crappy at home or even in the hospital when she starts to perk up. Just sitting her by the sink and her playing with water just, I don't know, makes her happy. So I think just being out there when you're surrounded by it, it's, she's in her element. Right? Are you a surfer girl? Yeah. And you say thank you? Tell me you know thank you? Thank you. Finally tonight, this week, Vladimir Putin once again made a major push to invade and take over Ukraine. For many, this tyrannical move is not a surprise. Here in Rhode Island, one theater decided to closely examine the controversial leader in a play about the nature of tyranny. Photojournalist and editor Michael Jones has our story. What do you do when the police come and pound on the door? I open it? Exactly. That is precisely what you do. You open it. Because if you don't, 
we will break it down. I'm Tony Estrella, and this is my 20th season as Artistic Director of the GAM Theater. Go for right there, and do you deny? And do you deny, or do you not deny, that you have written these words, all of these words? I do not. You're calling me a liar. Directing and rehearsing a play is a crazy process because you start with actors and, you know, people sitting around a table, and they read or act the play for the first time together on day one of rehearsal. Now, of course, before then, you've set all sorts of stuff in motion about what is it going to look like. You've had meetings with designers. You've started to think about the set is being built, and you have to make decisions around costumes, et cetera, and what the lights are going to look like. But it really grows. You want to leave room, as much of planning as you have, as you need, you want to leave room in the rehearsal room for invention, for improv, for what is unknown. You're discovering this play together. I sit alone and wonder how long before I start to lose my mind. You have, you know, a rich, this bevy of artists in a room who all come together to do that. And over the course of about four weeks, you go from sitting at the table, reading the play, to kind of, it's like an evolution. It's like watching the ascent of man. What's in the suitcase? Nothing. You were packing for escape? By the end, you're up there under the lights, and hopefully by that point, you've got this three-dimensional, living, breathing organism. Describe the night. What? The night. Describe it. Which night? This night. Describe the Night was actually the last play that got picked and came right under the wire as we were about to announce. And then the invasion of Ukraine happened. I was like, how do we, how do we deal with this? I, too, may be accused of some dreamt-up crime, and so I may be fleeing the country like you. You might flee the country. Now you understand. Good, 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 that's great. I found the play, and I read it for the first time. And immediately it felt like the play that had to be, it was necessary to be done. Describe the Night is written by Rajiv Joseph, who's an American playwright, uh, who is best known for not only Describe the Night, but also Bengal Tiger at the Baghdad Zoo, uh, which was on Broadway a few years before Describe the Night. Uh, famously, I think it was Robin Williams' uh, last theatrical performance. I've just described it in my journal. I'm wondering how you would describe it. And if we both described the same thing at the same time, would one of our descriptions be more true than the other? The play begins in 1920, uh, during the uh, Russo-Polish War, I guess you might call it, where the Red Cavalry, the Russian Red Cavalry, is in Poland, on the border of Poland, and Russia at what is now actually Ukraine. Uh, and it begins with uh, two historical figures. Uh, so there's four figures in the play, or characters in the play, that are ripped from history, one who is uh, still amongst us. It starts with Isak Babel, the great Russian uh, short story writer and journalist and playwright and screenwriter, and Nikolai Yezhov, uh, both who were young at the time, 25 years old, and serving in the Red Cavalry together. They would later become friends. Yezhov, better known for running the NKVD under Stalin and being the architect of the Great Purge, or the series of purges that happened in the 30s before he himself was purged. So it begins in 1920 with these two guys, and then it goes up to 2010 as the next scene. And we're in Smolensk at the site of the Polish airline disaster when the, uh, the entire, well, much of the Polish government was on its way to commemorate the massacre in the Katyn Forest. 70-year anniversary and the plane crashed on its way to the uh, memorial, uh, killing the president of Poland and much of his cabinet, his wife. May I help you? Ursula Solomonovna. Yes? I would like to speak to you. And 
Then in the center of it, we, we find 1989. And of course, we know the events of 1989, the fall of the Berlin Wall, the so-called collapse of communism, and the rise of the uh, fourth uh, <laughs> historical figure in the play. Who recognized that? Me, sir, I was summoned. You were summoned? By who? My name is Jeff Church. I am playing Vova in Rajiv Joseph's Describe the Night. Vova is Vladimir Putin. When you say that something is true, it becomes true. I play him from 1989 to 2010, and most of the play focuses on him as a, as a younger man, uh, as a member of the, uh, the KGB's fifth directorate. I am a man who goes towards a fight, not away. We don't really have a lot of information about the man as a young man. We, we have anecdotes, and Rajiv Joseph's version of Putin seems to be a very different version of the Putin that we actually knew was operating in 1989. It's an imagined version of Putin based on some things we know about him, some historical facts, some historical inaccuracies, uh, and then there's a whole new Putin created on stage. Bob, he doesn't want any Qureshi. No, that sounds lovely, Mom. Thank you. I would love to have soup with you. I'm trying to pick up the things that he does physically and the way that he speaks and the way that kind of like he phrases thoughts, which is difficult because he speaks Russian. He doesn't speak a lot of English. When I was eight years old, I threw a brick at a man's head because he swore at my mother in the middle of the street for no reason. It's been interesting trying to reconcile what Rajiv Joseph has created, this kind of thug character who is quick to temper, and the goal is ultimately to find the humanity there, which is a tough thing because we don't really have a lot of instances of Putin's humanity. We get to watch Putin reinvent himself, you know, and watch the steps, you know, in Joseph's imagination in a very theatrical way. How does one get from low-level KGB thug to one of the most powerful people in the, in the world. It's not often you get to do a play where there is a living person in it and you're depicting them. This play is a fiction, and one of its great themes is what is fiction, what is truth, what is lies. That's what the play is about. And I told you, nothing subversive. Describe the Night is also about how we manipulate truth, how we suppress truth, how we use truth to gain power to gain control over others. Nikolai Yeshov becomes the head of the NKVD, which is the precursor to the KGB, which is the precursor to today's FSB. And the NKVD was an incredibly oppressive force that literally, literally, and I mean it literally, rewrote history. Yezhov himself was erased. There's a very famous picture of him and Stalin that then was, he was taken out of that picture. He became an unperson when he was purged, as if he never existed. And for American audiences, it, you know, what could be a more relevant story? Every day we're bombarded with information, disinformation, misinformation, fact, fiction. You're lying, you're lying, back and forth, conspiracy theory. And right now I think we're living in a time in which um, everybody thinks they've got the answer. You know, from all sides of the political spectrum, everybody's yelling at everybody else and telling them what they ought to be thinking. And I don't think that's the theater's role at all. I think the theater has to think about how everyone is thinking. You know, how do we live together and how do we you know, how do we exist and offering a multiplicity of views that complicates reality. And that's the people sitting in the audience. We've rehearsed that play. We know where we're going with it. It's always going to be slightly different every night. And what makes it different, what makes it special, is the fact that the audience comes in and finishes it. And every night it goes away, it disappears. And then we got to rebuild it again. And the essential element is that last thing, which here we come. Here comes a new group of people to sit here and engage this and bring everything they are to it. And we've got a whole new story to tell. Do you hear it? Do you hear the rumbling of Glasnost?
And that's our broadcast this evening. Thank you for joining us. I'm Pamela Watts. I'm Michelle San Miguel. We'll be back next week with another edition of Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Until then, you can visit us online to see all of our stories and past episodes at ripbs.org weekly or listen to our podcast available on all your favorite audio streaming platforms. Thank you. Good night. <laughs>